Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show, where we celebrate the people who have worked so hard and are working so hard to make this state, Mississippi, such a great place to live, work, and play. So it's Thursday on this show, and uh, on Thursday we we have an expanded show into the Jackson and in the Delta markets. We've always been on Super Talk TV at Ceasefire TV, and of course you can watch us on your favorite podcast or on Facebook or YouTube. However, you choose to engage in this show. Um, you know, it's been a kind of a sad week for us in coastal Mississippi, and uh, I say this mostly for the uh, listeners in Jackson and, and the Delta. Uh, we actually did a tribute show to my friend George Logan uh, yesterday on, on this show, and um, what an incredible leader he was, but he passed away last Friday. And George was actually on this show, this expanded show, last month, talking about Mississippi and uh, how William Winter influenced him. And just an incredible conversation. If you listen to that show, you know how special it was. Even at the end, I asked him what his secret to longevity was. And he told me about... He was looking forward to going skiing in in, uh, in January. And he talked about his wife, Peggy, and... You know, it's a, it's a, it's sad for us in coastal Mississippi. But as 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 the folks who worked with me to do the tribute show to George said, you know, he lived a full life. He gave so much. He leaves such an incredible legacy to coastal Mississippi. I can't. I think it's probably one of the most significant leaders in coastal Mississippi history in terms of what he brought to this this area. Uh, but Mayor Brent War. The former mayor of Gulfport, um, the president of Mississippi Power, Anthony Wilson, Jerry St. Pay, the former CEO of uh, Ingalls, my, my mentor and the former publisher of the Sun-Herald, Roland Weeks, Dave Dennis. Uh, Dave, incidentally, ran for governor at one point, one of the most important, one of the most significant community leaders I've ever come in contact with. What he does in the community is incredible. Uh, Lenny Sawyer from Sawyer Realty and, and uh just an investor and a terrific community leader, dear friend of George Logan, Mayor Billy Knight from Moss Point, Mayor Billy Hughes from Gulfport, and uh, former Governor of Mississippi, uh, 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 Haley Barber, joined me on that tribute show to talk about um, to talk about our friend George, and then we had, a, had an extended uh, uh, tribute from. The current uh, uh, chairman and president of Hancock Whitney, John Harrison, my my dear friend John Harrison, and man, uh, George was like a father to to John, and it was very tough for him to do not only the tribute show but also George's eulogy. 
So uh, if you missed the show that I had with George on this expanded day on Thursday, you can go to uh, Super Talk Gulf Coast Facebook page or the Ricky Matthews Facebook page or Super Talk YouTube page and watch it. And you'll see uh, an extraordinary man. And we've been celebrating his life all week. Now let me shift gears and move over to someone that a lot of you know. Uh, he's a guy who's made his mark in the Mississippi Delta. He worked in Jack in the museum world. He still you know, has a, a tremendous uh, interest in Mississippi, especially Jackson. And he's the executive director of the Walter Anderson Museum in Ocean Springs, uh, my friend, Julian Rankin. Julian, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. It's great to be with you again. You know, well, you heard what I said about George, but, you know, I don't know that we've ever had uh, – a uh, a leader in Mississippi who has stood the test of time, who gave to his final breath to coastal Mississippi. It's a it's a sad sad week for this community, but I tell you, man, it's also a celebration of a legacy. Uh, you know what do you, what do you have to say about George? Well, you know, I have far less experience than y'all do, and that's part of I think what what we're talking about is this idea of of lineage and passing down tradition and mentorship, and certainly you know whether it's George or any of the number of other people living and past who have helped me and you and and so many of us. I think that's the magic of kind of homegrown um, commitment. So you know, we know if, if people stay here, they learn what this place means. You know, we're talking about Mississippi and the coast and Jackson, the Delta. You know, if you're rooted in a place and you know you've got um, wisdom passed down to you, then you can carry that torch to the next next chapter. And I think that's what we're seeing, and that's always the the other side of the coin. You know, it's interesting when I started the show uh, with uh, you know the tribute show. I recalled from a 2020 conversation that George and I had on this show. We had been on the show for an hour. And I asked him how he wanted to be remembered. And he said, I don't want to be remembered. He literally just immediately said that. And you know, it's true, George. That's the what, that's what George would say. That's what he said. That's what he believed in his heart of hearts. Because what he went on to say was he really wanted you know, the work that they were doing to continue. And he, he wanted he wanted to, the, the, the building blocks that were put in place to create a place where people could stay here or come back here and enjoy what he called paradise. And if he could have a little part of that, he said, then uh, then he would be he would be happy with that, whether his name was attached to it or not. But I, I think about all the people that I've had the opportunity as publisher of the Sun Herald and the work that I've done in the community, you know, then and since then and then on the show as well the opportunity to hear from so many who have so much to share about what they've learned and you're right man it's it's lineage it's it's, it's a community lineage that comes out of that and this this snowballing role of sharing experiences and passions and determination to build a great place and all of those things swirl in each of us, don't they? And we share it with one another and we hold each other to a standard and we create new visions and new expectations and we drive to, to greater heights, not just here in coastal Mississippi, but across the state. That's what community leadership really at the end of the day is all about, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying and one of the things I really appreciate is that the work is what should be remembered. And certainly people will be remembered. You know, we, we're all, you know, um, 
you know, uh, brilliant uh, neighbors and friends and family who were just thrilled and honored to be a, a part of their lives. But really, in, in another mentor of mine, Malcolm White, who's on the board of the Walter Anderson Museum, but longtime, you know, director of the Mississippi Arts Commission of Visit Mississippi, Hal and Mal started the, you know, Hal St. Patty's Parade, which it's now called after the late Hal White. You know, he, but he, he mentioned to me something after so many years of public service, you know, he'll run into people now in his retirement and they may not know or even remember he was there, but they'll, but they'll now be, be managing some program that he helped start. And so there's that humility of knowing that it's not about who gets the credit ultimately, but it's about having the, the institutions, the programs, whatever that may be, um, that, that stand the test of time. And that's, of course, the case with the Walter Anderson Museum. You know, I, I've been a part of that chapter, uh, the current chapter, but it's only um, a, available to me because of the work that was done 30 and 20 and 15 and five years ago. And the same will be true of whoever follows me. And and I, that, that really is the magic of it. And I think you're right that, you know, real, real community servants, public servants, um, community organizers. They know that it's not about them. It's about trying to create a platform for other people to succeed. Yeah, you know, I had a long career at the Sun-Herald and man, uh, you know, I was so honored to work with so many great people at the newspaper. I, I just can't say enough about that, especially after Katrina, the Pulitzer Prize winning effort to serve the community and what we all learned as a result of that. But, you know, I left there in 2009, went on to, you know, follow my career, where it took me. And when I retired and started this show four years after my retirement, my wife, Ann, said, people are not even going to remember that you were the, at the Sun-Herald. You know, they'll, they'll remember... If they remember you at all, maybe even maybe just do this show. And we had a talk, we had a conversation about legacy. And at the end of the day, you know, people do have very short memories. They really, you know, that's just reality. But they will, you know, they will remember. They remember the place, you know, and, you know, like it's amazing. It's amazing to look at the work that you do today to try to further Walter Anderson's uh, commitment to the community and, and, and inspiration this Renaissance man brought. Uh, that That's what you're, you're about teaching those lessons. But. But at the end of the day, man, if we can plant some seeds, as uh, our friend, the mayor of Moss Point often says, and, uh, you know, just know that most of those trees that we're planting, we're never going to see the shade from, but someone will. That's that's all that matters, isn't it? It's true. I mean, I, we, we won't know what it's like to be here when we're gone, obviously. But this idea of memory, I mean, look at Walter Anderson, for example. Obviously, I did not know the man. He died in 1965. Many of his closest friends didn't really know him and certainly discovered much more about him after he died. And they found this treasure trove of watercolors made on the you know, the Horn Island wilderness. So even then, he left these writings, though, and he was thinking about his own myth and this idea of folklore and passed down tradition and storytelling. So the stories we tell about Anderson now, they're rooted in his, his writings, his artwork. But he could not envision the connections we're making to workforce development and public art and STEM and, and you know, com computer-aided design. But these things are there as a blueprint. But but he, of course, he's still alive in some weird way. But, of course, he's long gone. And that's really how you get remembered. It's the, the skills you pass on and the things people are able to use and, and to make sense of their own world. And that's how, how we try to think about our role. Well, it makes me think about the, the Mad Potter of Alexi George Orr, how he was appreciated after his death. And... 
Robert Johnson, the great blues guitarist, same story. I mean, this is we could just repeat this over and over again, but the legacies they all lead. Hey, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Julian Rankin. I want uh, our expanded audience to have a better appreciation for what Julian just said about the extension, the community building extension of the Walter Anderson Museum. And then we'll talk about some projects that they're involved in that involve the rest of the state. We'll see you after this. and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend, uh, the executive director of the Walter Anderson Museum of Art here in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, of course, down here in coast, in coast of Mississippi, Julian Rankin. Hey, Julian, I ran across a quote. <clears throat> excuse me. I, I want to share it with you. And um, I, I, it makes me think of a lot of things. But, you know, a lot of times when you're going out to do something in the community, when you're doing something new, you bring in a new vision, uh, you're going to meet resistance. It's going to. It's sometimes very scary. Depend. I guess it depends on how audacious the goal is. Will determine how much more scary it is. But sometimes, as a community leader, <clears throat> when you're leading an effort that you know is going to get some pushback, you can look fear in the face. <laughs> it's just part of being a leader. And I've been there many, many times. I know you've been there as well. But I came across this quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, and she said this. You can gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. But it's true, isn't it, man? You, you gain strength and courage and confidence to say, okay, I know this is good for the community. I'm going to push hard, and I'm going to, I'm going to stomach the resistance I'm going to get because I know this is the right thing, and I know eventually people will see the vision and, and embrace it. Um, you you know it's interesting. I, it's interesting that I'm saying that to you because you run a museum. Museum should just be happy times and exhibits and beautiful music and you know make it working with a nice board and whatever. But you're so much more than that, aren't you? Well, I will say every museum is probably a little you know uh, more difficult than it looks on the outset. But yes, you're right. I mean, there is a, a, a this idea of <clears throat> certainly some institutions and museums being one. You're, you're you're keeping these works for people to look at. You keep them dusted and nicely lit, and <clears throat> and that can be the end of it. But you know, the world we live in today is so complicated and complex and fractured that to reach people with a message is a, a lot of work, as we know. And so you have to, as a community engager, you know, someone who's trying to activate um, you know these stories in the contemporary space, you have to find where those people are, but we're, as you know, expanding our campus, our programs. But one thing you said, you know, about the, the difficulty, you know, vision is extremely important, obviously. And it's not even that people who have vision are somehow better. They're, they're, it's just a skill set. Some people have vision. Some people have great hearing, metaphorically, however you want. They're listeners. They're empaths. They can plan. You know, there's all these different skills. But for people who have vision, you do have this kind of dichotomy and paradox between belief in that vision and the fear of trying to make make it make sense to other people who might not share it. But even Walter Anderson talked about this, again, double-sided idea of the best things have to be 
done through um, kind of complicated and potentially arduous means. So he talked about Horn Island going out, you know, to the wilderness there. And when he's rowing in the Mississippi Sound, he says, "I was it was as if he was in conflict with a demon." So as if the water, you know, the wind and waves, you know, were this other force, not necessarily malicious force, but he says the only way he'd be able to get there was through the uttermost expenditure of strength and endurance. But there, he didn't do it just one time. He kept going back for that transition, that battle, that fight through the process to get to a place. And so I think all of us, especially if it's a large project, the process too is important because it's never going to be done. Um, but but I think that's a great lesson for us all to to remember. So Julian, so people can appreciate sort of the the more global Mississippi global scale that you bring to the job that you do there. Let's uh, let's remind them about the book that you wrote. Sure. You know, I wrote a book uh, in 2018 called Catfish Dream, and it was, you know, the, the, the subtitle, Ed Scott's Fight for His Family Farm and Racial Justice in the Mississippi Delta. And, of course, that took a story um, it was about a catfish farmer, and you can read the, the book to get all the details, but essentially the story of African-American farmer, self-determination, grit, um, capitalist fervor, and just, you know, he was a businessman at heart. He knew he wanted to play the game, um, the American game, and he was shut out of it, you know, because of his color, the color of his skin. And so he, he showed a new model for how to circumvent that, for how to go through and, and, um, and overcome some of those challenges. And I think when I, um, when I think about that book, of course, it's rooted in the Mississippi Delta, but it's applicable to America. It ends with one of the largest civil rights, you know, class action lawsuits against the new U.S. Department of Agriculture at the time, you know, the, the largest civil rights lawsuit at the time. And so that's a national story. And, and so the same thing is true about Mississippi. If it's something happening on the coast or the Delta, it's also true of, of uh, the regions, uh, you know, to the east and to the north and in, in the capital region. And Mississippi is a, a cipher for America in a lot of ways. And so, you know, the, the book projects I'm continuing to be involved in, the museum work, it's all rooted in this idea of Mississippi. And to use an Anderson quote, he called the Mississippi River, and by extension, the state, a distillation of America. And I think I've used that before. I use it a lot because geographically, it's true. We, of course, you know, the Mississippi River flows down all the many, many dozens of states that deposit their good and bad and ugly into that river comes down to the Gulf. But also culturally, it's true. And we have to remember that as storytellers because there's such an opportunity there. Well, one of the things I say about Julian, and it reminds me, uh, that I feel this way every time we have this conversation is that he's extraordinarily articulate, and the way he describes, you know, the the how the landscapes of Mississippi in so many ways define us in the history and you know all these amalgamations create us, creating us who we are. And it's only fitting that he would find his way in so, sort of the museum realm, understanding culturally what defines us, you know, et cetera. But tell him about the time you spent in Jackson. So that was a, you know, when I came out of college, I graduated in 2009 from University of North Carolina at the time. But my first real job was at the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. And you know, I knew nothing then. I was an English major and trying to figure out what this meant for me, what, you know, just trying to find a foothold. But I knew I wanted to be back in Mississippi. I had grown up here and I'm gone away for school. But 
you know, the, there is where I learned a lot of what I know now and I just met some of the people who started me on my journey. I mentioned Malcolm White at the time, director of the Arts Commission. He was a mentor of mine, Betsy Bradley, who's still the director of the Mississippi Museum of Art, taught me really everything, you know, about museums that I know. Um, so, you know, that was a critical period just in, and I was eight, there for eight years, 2010 to 2018, saw a lot of growth and development there and around Jackson. One of the people who, who I met, um, who, who I know we'll, we'll bring up maybe today and in future conversations is Chef, Chef Nick Wallace, who was, he came to join the museum while I was there and we dubbed him our culinary curator, not just a chef, but he was the culinary curator. So he and I did a series of pop-up restaurants informed by the collection. And we talked about difficult issues through food, just like you might do through art. So there's so many people in, in Jackson, of course, being the capital city, you see, you see a lot of people come and go and come through that are, are talented and inspiring. So that gave me a wonderful um, vantage point of the state. I grew up in Oxford as a child, a little bit in the Delta. So coming down to the coast, I, I do have a, a fuller vision of some of what's going on in the state. And I really do think, you know, Mississippi's a small town, ultimately, that we really all should be able to work together across counties and regions. And so the programs we do at the museum now are actually expanding statewide in a lot of cases. And it's a hard thing to do, but I think it's important for Mississippi to have that identity and that shared investment in one another. I had the opportunity, as you know, to visit with uh, Chef Nick Wallace um, a couple of months ago on this show in the expanded show. So our listeners in Delta and, and Jackson who were paying attention at that time, they heard, they heard, heard that conversation. And uh, I was really impressed with Nick. Uh, of course, a lot of people know him from the from the chop. He was a chop champ, champion on the on the Food Network, and and I made the point to him before we started the show, and then we went on to ex really expand on it. When you think about Mississippi being sort of the the uh, the birthplace of American music, you think about rock and roll and the father of country music, the king of blues. You you can't help but also understand and appreciate the role that food has played and and the influence that Mississippi has had really across around the world the food that we've done uh, and Nick's Nick's ability to convey that and his passion for it and his understanding the extension of the work that he's doing it's not just about cooking the food but it's about telling the stories and um, he's really become a master at it I was so pleased when I learned that the two of you had joined forces along the way I had in all of our my relationship with you I never knew that but talk a little bit more about the relationship that you and Nick have Sure. Well, you know, like I said, Chef Nick Wallace, he's, he's also was on Top Chef the most recent season If people, you know, I think he finished top five, you know, and that's such an important show for, you know, for, for chefs and TV. So he's done so much work representing the state outside of Mississippi, you know, James Beard Foundation, how, you know, the house uh, dinners he's done in New York and so many other appearances. But he and I really came together around storytelling. I, I've been to his you know, his uh, Bolton and Edwards roots, you know, the farm in Edwards where his family lived. Um, I met his grandparents, his grandmother, and, and learned and seen where he came from and helped write you know, for you know, with him uh, collaborations and stories. And we're working on a book together now with, with several other collaborators and essayists. And it really is about positioning Mississippi, um, you know, not just uh, in terms of food, but just as a place that matters. And, and certainly when you think about food, all these all these great musicians and, and uh, actors, you know, they, they all have to eat. So there, there is a there's a food 
you're not going to have all this great vision if, if you have bad taste. You know, we got good taste in Mississippi, so we're going to have good food. Um, but but to track down some of those roots, and the book we're working on is called Rooted, and it goes to, to Nick's own roots, but really around the state. We, you know, we went to Mississippi Delta to do an excursion to, to find some inspiration for other dishes, and that's, that's Chinese-American uh, Delta proprietors. That's, you know, seventh-generation fisher folk in Greenville going out and catching buffalo off the river and butchering them back home in their tin shed. You know, it's all these places that Nick wants to go because he knows he has a rooted experience and, and a truth, but there's so many others. There's the, the Jewish commingling in the Delta. There's Vietnamese here on the coast. There's all these wonderful traditions, indigenous and contemporary and city and farm. And so he's really helping to pull that together for Mississippi. Um, and there's other chefs obviously doing this too, but that's where we find our real uh, passion is trying to tell that story to people outside. I think that is so awesome. And it's led to even some, some deeper collaborations that we'll talk about when we get on the other side. Uh, when we continue our conversation with Julian Rankin, who's the executive director for the Walter Anderson Museum of Art in Ocean Springs. We'll see you after this. Reminding you why we all love living in Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Julian Rankin from the Walter Anderson Museum at Ocean Springs. And, and uh, we'll get back to Nick Wallace in a second because it's sort of part of, a, of a, an evolving story for the Walter Anderson Museum. But you guys are always thinking about not only are you collaborating in the community to help build a stronger sense of place in the community to do community building, uh, whether it be you know facilitating or whatever. I mean, you, you guys are engaged in big waves in the community. Uh, but boy, one thing's really important is the collaboration you do internally because you're really focused on working with your board and your team and a lot, you know, a, a big list of of stakeholders to expand the museum and to take advantage of some opportunities that are in front of you, aren't you? Yeah, and I think one thing, you know, I won't belabor the, the kind of campus expansion too much because, you know, you'll see it when it comes. I mean, it is underway, and we do have an additional project that involves Nick Wallace that we will we'll talk about. But, you know, we're in the process of doubling our campus. We've kind of doubled our staff and budget over the last five years. But I think what people should realize is we, while we have on the campus side, you know, we have public monies and grants that are, you know, set aside for that kind of construction, our operating budget's also doubled, and that has nothing to do with any of that. It's all about programmatic growth. So, you know, when you look at some of the programs we're doing, you know, statewide that are supported in, in partnership with National Geographic or, you know, we're doing things with the National Academy of Sciences and the Pascagoula River Audubon Center and the USM Marine Education Center to use art as a way to talk about Gulf Coast resilience. I mean, these are programs that are, you know, happening, you know, in, in different sectors and different spheres. And we've participated in before, but it's all there with Anderson, of course, and, and the nature that we that we focus on. So I just want people to understand, you know, we're we're doing things. There's so many ideas and we can't do them all, but we're so excited about being able to connect these uh, these different threads into this tapestry that really includes all of the state, any manner of humanities and science and, and different kind of uh, folks. And so that's really where this all starts at. It starts with Anderson's collection how those connections manifest, and then the campus is just kind of coming along along with that because we need more space to do these things. You know, what's what's cool about what you say is that, you know, again, I've alluded to sort of, this is not your, maybe your grandfather's museum, that a museum, you're right, I mean, you kind of, kind of fight and tear and 
find all these different diversified approaches to your revenue stream. It's really a business. I mean, you gotta, you know, you can't just be a museum anymore if you're gonna if you're gonna be truly successful. In other words, really wanting to make the impact, really wanting to push forward the the the, the ideals of Walter Anderson and what he wrote about, et cetera, as you talked about a few minutes ago. You've got to be willing to go find grants and form partnerships and do art programs in downtown Pascagoula as part of their, you know, the 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 downtown historic district. I mean, you, you've got to be, you have to do that. And it requires a strategic plan. It requires an operating plan. And it's a lot of hard work. And it's a lot about uh, forming coalitions and partnerships, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, truthfully, there, I hope people, and there will be more time to talk about this. There's so much that I've learned from being at the museum. You know, on the one hand, it is a business for one. We do have the benefit of we're tax exempt, right? So that's a, we get that on other businesses, but also we can't just open our doors and do good work and have uh, our admissions support us. We have to go get money and, and rely on people to give us money. So that's a different kind of business. So we have all these nested, we have a store and we have retail operations, but you also have to do the grants and the fundraising. So it's a very interesting model, but I think more increasingly, I'm trying to, to look around and see economic development happening and say, you know, there's a cultural piece to that, that that folks need to understand because people come for culture and authenticity and you never want to lose that. So we, when we participate in downtown revitalizations, we want to bring that, that culture to it, that sense of place. But on the flip side, we also want to bring in private sector methodologies and the campus expansion. Part of what we're doing is we're going to be putting in a, a restaurant, coffee shop and venue where people can just come and enjoy and exist. And it'll be themed around mid-century Shearwater pottery and handmade creative economy. And Chef Nick Wallace will have a concept in there. And we have a short-term rental you know, part of our business. I mean, these are all things that we, we are just responding to the needs of our facility and our institution in the place that we exist. And we have great tourism and support. So all those things have to happen at once. And it's it's complicated, but it's really fun. I think it could be meaningful for other industries looking ahead because we're always being disrupted in this world we live in. And we always have to figure out how do you take a little bit, borrow here, and create a new model. What What, what happens as a result of that? You evolve. Your learning evolves. Your ability to run the museum and the, your quote-unquote business evolves. You get smarter about marketing. You get smarter about branding. Then, then as you build those that capacity, you're able to actually help others. You can help other communities. You can help individuals. You can. I mean, just the, the applications for the growing skill sets within the museum. Really, whatever you decide, whatever limit you decide to put on it. Yeah, I mean, it's so fun. I mean, I mentioned the, you know, we're, as we're building this campus out, we, we, we will need furniture, right? And one of the cool moments is we have this Anderson design furniture that he made when he was alive. One's called the Pelican Chair. Very cool design. And we're actually working with Jackson County Schools and their career tech campus to reverse engineer and build some of these camp, these chairs for our campus. So we're going to have, you know, as a workforce development project, Pelican chairs being uh, reimagined by high school students who are themselves going to be carpenters and they may go to be welders. We work with a lot of these different programs, but that's going to be part of the campus, part of the experience and interpreted as such. And that's really what gets me excited. It's all that kind of nesting within one another. But ultimately, and this is the reason I'm in nonprofits, because I'm an ambitious guy, but I want to do good. So if I align our goals with something that's fundamentally mission-based and good for the community, I think we can all win. 
Yeah, who can who can not like that? <laughs> it's, it it makes so much sense. There's so much to learn there, and I don't care if you're in the nonprofit business or in the for profit business. There there are lessons embedded in everything that that Julian just said. Julian, I I, I know we we've got another uh, shorter segment to do here in just a second, but I just want to make sure that before we get too far into this and we and we we run out of time that I give you enough time to talk about what's what's the latest from an exhibit point of view uh, I went to your website this morning and went to your Facebook page and man there's just this constant flurry of stuff that's going on at the museum so why don't you kind of bring us up to date yeah well in addition to all the cool programs and our Horn Island camping trips going to be going off as we as y'all are watching this they'll be on Horn Island you know, getting ready for another camping trip that we do, but our, our exhibitions are all changing out. So we've we've continued to improve and um, you know not just a fresh coat of paint, but really change all of what's inside the museum. You know, our, our collections, open storage. If people haven't been, we put took part of our vault, our ceramic storage, and now you can walk in and see the works that aren't on view. They're still protected, but it's open and accessible. Um, but now we're right now we're reinstalling the entire Anderson collection. So this will be called. Um, literally the collected works. It's a new structure that will be ever-changing, allow more stories to come in, and other contemporary artworks as well. That opens along with another show. There's a big opening reception on October 26th, 100% free kind of micro festival people want to come enjoy. But in the next couple of weeks, going all the way through the new year and, and beyond, you'll be able to see new work on the walls. Another one I'll just mention, the contemporary artist that's going to be featured here um, and actually on view now just opened up is a, is a guy named Ben Depp. He's a photographer from Louisiana. And he takes aerial photographs of the disappearing Mississippi and Louisiana wetlands by powered paraglider. So he gets up here in his paraglider, kind of like Anderson. He could use a drone, but he wants to be in the sky. And he takes these wonderful images, aerial images of our landscapes where we can't go. And so, again, there's that, that story being told across time. But people really should just come see. The campus is looking wonderful. You'll be able to see what's coming. There's, there's evidence of the things to come. It's a new museum every time you visit. And if you haven't been recently, it's a good time to come. You know, one of the things uh, for for people who um, may not, you know, go to Ocean Springs regularly, uh, when you're driving to Ocean Springs coming down Washington Avenue, uh, all you got to do is just stay on Washington and just go a little bit further, and you'll see it. This wonderful walkable community, really the only the only sort of downtown city center in coastal Mississippi that wasn't that didn't take a lot of water. I mean, obviously it got damaged, but the reality is it didn't get flooded, and so the the downtown area of Ocean Springs was able to sort of come back pretty quickly. And and the way I like to say it, and the way I said it, especially when I was at the Sun Herald, is that Ocean Springs kind of remained um, sort of a, a symbol of what could be rebuilt because so much of coastal Mississippi was destroyed. And so in a lot of ways, from from a walkable community point of view, Ocean Springs got a little bit of a leg ahead of, of most of the communities of coastal Mississippi. Lots of lots of, uh, of uh, wonderful restaurants and shops and you know art art uh, stores and you, you name it. And then more recently, what you're seeing is the development of boutique hotels and mixed use, uh, you know, with commercial below, and then either residential or short-term rentals above. It just, I mean, it's just the city is exploding right now, isn't it? 
Yeah, and, and I think that's why it's good to have people who understand that you can't lose the fundamental you know, piece of that, which is the culture, the why people wanted to come here to begin with. And we have really talented developers and city leaders and people who understand that. And we, from the museum side, feel like we have a role to play in that too. So I think we're in a really good spot, but there's so many cool things happening across the coast. I mean, all these other towns and communities you mentioned, they may have a different scenario where they're working through, but a different time, you know, piece in the timeline, but they're doing amazing things too. And I think that's, we're in a good spot as a, as a region. Yeah, I know, uh, I know from my conversations with uh, the mayor of Ocean Springs, Kenny Holloway and others that we already knew this about Ocean Springs. Ocean Springs is a, is a, is a very literate community. They're very educated. They're very active in the community. It's hard to make change happen. You know, it's just hard. You know, you, you're going to, you're always going to have pushback and debate and whatever. It's a very active community. And but this is what democracy is about. This is what building a great city is about. You got to have all those voices. Hey, when we come back, we'll uh, continue our conversation with my friend Julian Rankin from the Walter Anderson Museum. We'll see you after this. to more of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Julian Rankin, who is the executive director for the Walter Anderson Museum of Art here in Ocean Springs. Um, you know, Julian, there's so much we could talk about. One, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about being in New Orleans as the, as the president and publisher of the Times Picayune and NOLA.com was the culture and the culture experience I got. As a publisher, I got to get injected into so many different communities and see, you know, what really made. Uh, New Orleans tick, you know, and where, you know, you might say in, in a place like Biloxi, for example, there might be three or four cabals that kind of run in New Orleans. It might be a hundred. I mean, there's just so many different groups and it's just so dynamic and so diverse. I really enjoyed that. But, you know, you're kind of dedicated to that, too. I, I noticed that you had, as part of your music and uh, material culture workshop, you actually had uh, the Mardi Gras Indians workshop that I thought was terrific. And I've had some experience with them when I was in New Orleans. Talk about what you did and why that was important. Sure. Well, we did have a workshop component, which was a part of this larger concert we do. So for those who are familiar, you know, Luther Dickinson, who's the founder with his brother, North Mississippi All-Stars, Grammy-nominated guy, his his father, Jim Dickinson, a legendary Memphis producer. But uh, Luther has been doing this series at the museum in the Ocean Springs Community Center, surrounded by the murals. This is his seventh performance. We just wrapped it this last weekend. But the whole premise was, of course, paying homage to what he saw, the synesthetic experience of the murals, the movement that Anderson captured. But Anderson wrote about music, this idea that all movement is too invisible music. A lot of us don't hear it, but it's all the different you know, the, the voice of the crowing cock, the sun, the moon, but really all the people, too, all the cultural uh, voices. So when Luther performs this this show, which really is kind of an exhibition in itself, you know, he's got um, Big Chief Juan Pardo, the Golden Comanches, Mardi Gras Indians, you know, Chardet, 
um, and her team from the Rising Star Fife and Drum from Como, Mississippi. You know, again, Luther himself from North Mississippi. Uh, you got all this mixing. We we reached this this time into Biloxi White Tiger Lion Dance. This young group um, who really brought the Vietnamese tradition, Asian traditions into that. And so we got this concert that is you know part and parcel to what we're talking about. And it's how and how else do you experience a concentrated understanding of where you come from? Because it is hard to move in and out of these communities if you're an outsider. We all have tribal, you know, so it's part of being human. We feel comfortable where we are. But art culture performances allow that to be on display for folks and then they got to see that melding that fusion and that's what it's all about yeah i mean you had gosh the golden comanches big sam williams big sam's funky nation chris mallory rising star fife and drunk you mentioned them eddie christmas the new Orleans suspect i mean a long list of people man this was not any small undertaking was it no, and we'd really, I mean, folks who have been before, this was a high watermark, the production. Um, we're going to be recording this and putting it out on a vinyl album. So just look for this show to continue to grow. We, we hope to travel it, too. And to your point earlier, I mean, I think that's really what this is about. It's about movement and travel. And Anderson, you know, he was a bike rider, too. He didn't just stay in coastal Mississippi. He rode to Florida and into Texas and bought a bike when he went to Central America. So we want people to keep moving when they come to the museum, too. Go to Pascagoula and Bay St. Louis and Waveland and see the things we've done over there and are doing with Studio Waveland, another cool creative community. Uh, got a husband and wife artist team who are transforming a the space there. But also go north, you know, like we talk about. You know, you don't have to stop at any place. You just keep keep driving. You're going to find what you need in the Delta and Jackson and Oxford and Meridian. And so that's really the Philadelphia. Go see what Marty Stewart's up to. You know, these are these are where we want to start the conversations. We're one one spot on the map. We're connected to it all. We're all that way. We just have to look at our neighbors and look a little further afield and say, you know, I want to go over there. I, I feel like I have, have some connection to be had there. And, and I think inevitably when you do that in Mississippi, whether it's through the food you discussed or through the music or just through some happenstance, you pull off on the side of the road and see an amazing sunset over a, a cotton gin. I mean, you're going to see something that you'll remember and uh, be better for. And you think about the Mississippi River being what defines Mississippi in so many different ways and being being our uh, western border um, and think about the time that Walter Anderson spent on the Mississippi River and you know you, it, it, again I, I you and I've had long conversations about what he's written and where he's gone and what was what his influences have been around the world the time he spent on the Mississippi River but he's truly a Renaissance man but you know he's Mississippi's artist he's not just Horn Island's guy. He's Mississippi's artist, isn't he? Totally. I mean, when I grew up, and I, and I didn't know as much about Walter as I know now, but when I grew up as a small child, I, too, had a block print, the opossum block print, you know, in my nursery in Oxford, Mississippi, you know, because my parents were Southern people, and that's what you did. You got a Walter Anderson print for your, for your, for your child's little nursery there. But it's true. I mean, it's he is by far, in my mind, the most famous, you know, visual artist from the state. But really, more than that, he's just an elusive artist. We call him the South's most elusive artist. He's not just Mississippi's either. He's the Gulf South. He's Every time you try to pin him down, there's another concentric circle. And um, I think that's true of Mississippi, though, not to belabor the point. But anyone who's from Mississippi who you know wonders their place in things, Mississippi is the center of the universe. And everyone should say that about their place. But it's true of Mississippi, too. And, and I think we have a lot of, uh, obviously, objective truth to point to to, to celebrate. 
Well, listen, man, it's, it has been a pleasure to spend some time with you, Julian. You uh, you have such a wonderful way of communicating that I really enjoy. It's been, a, it's been a career in communication, and you're one of the better communicators that I've had the opportunity to, to spend time with. And that includes a bunch of Pulitzer Prize winners, I might add. So you're, you're a talented guy, and you're making your mark on, on Mississippi. And uh, you know, I look forward to, to visiting with you again soon. Thank you, Ricky. The pleasure's mine. It's always, always a pleasure. Listen, uh, this has been Julian Rankin. He's the executive director from the Walter Anderson Museum of Art and someone who really, really, really loves this state like I do, like you do. And, uh, you know, we'll have him back soon. I hope you enjoyed this visit like I did. It was really terrific. Have a great, have a great uh, day. We'll see you tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.